Folks, you ever think about how all creatures under the kingdom of God ultimately are just earthworms? We're mouth to butt, one tube, uh, and everything else outside of it, our arms, our legs, our appendages, that's just all for the good stuff. All we need to do is put food into the tube, put food outside the bottom of the tube. That's why we're here on this earth. If you want to know the best way to put said food inside that top tube, well, you go to coldcanspodcast.com slash blue apron, and they're going to deliver all the ingredients you need to make a fresh and delicious meal straight to your doorstep. So go to coldcanspodcast.com slash blue apron, get $30 off your first package today. And as you could tell by that gorgeously crafted Blue Apron read, today's episode is going to be some premium content for you, the listeners. You know, normally we drink a shit beer and we talk about all the trivialities surrounding said beer and we don't talk about the taste very much because there isn't very much of it. Simply, my boy. <laughs> so today we decided to change it up and give you some premium beer with this premium content. Today we're drinking... Rodenbach Grand Crew. Ooh. Oh, yeah. Yes. First sip. First sip's good. Tastes like wine almost. Oh, holy shit. This is very refreshing. <laughs> it is. Welcome to the show, folks. <laughs> holy uh, shit, that's refreshing. <laughs> well, it's an actual good beer. We've had one other actual good beer on the show. It's true. The Eyinger. Eyinger. <laughs> and uh, neither of us really liked it. Uh, we took our first sip as uh, Sufyan was taking us into the show, and goddamn. You're it's right. Good. It kind of tastes like a wine. Yeah, it's sweet. Hey, and it's a cheers, hey, Nick. Cheers, cheers to premium beer. So this is a Belgian beer. Very uh, good. Belgian, it's the, it's the original. They claim sour ale, and usually I'm turned off by sour ales. But as you mentioned at the top of the show, this is regarded as one of the best beers in the world. Um, we actually were recommended uh, to drink this beer by Jeff Allworth, the creator of the Beervana blog. That's uh, right. You, you can find that at beervanablog.com. Um, but he talked about um, – he's going to be on the show uh, shortly and he talked about you know, trying out some of the European – the classic European uh, beers. And, and this was the first one he mentioned. So we went out and got it mm-hmm. and holy shit, is it good. It's <laughs> it's, very good. It's refreshing. And we decided to devote this show to actually talking about uh, the different ways that uh, make Rodenbach Grand Cru uh, the world-class beer that it is. Um, I guess – does that make us start at Beer Advocate? Let's start from the source. It's on their label. So we bought this from a grocery store. You should be able to find this anywhere where you are. It's a little pricey. Uh, it's 10 bucks for, for a pint A pint of it, um, but it's really tasty. And right on their label, they have the Beer Advocate score. But Nick, yep. hit us with what's going on. Hey, don't take your news from anyone else but me when it comes to Beer Advocate. <laughs> You're the only one who could Google Beer Advocate. <laughs> the only one with access to this website. <laughs> Um, so the, the BA score, we also learned that we'd been doing it backwards this whole time. So there's a thing on the Beer oh, Advocate boy. website that says the bros. 
That refers to reviews given by the two guys who started Beer the Advocate. Brothers, yes. The brothers themselves. Um, and the the other ratings are from the community as a whole, the but BA I, score. But I am unclear as to which one of those is sort of the reputable one. I mean, even on this label they're both that listed came on, on beer, the label. they're both listed. The BA score is listed first. I don't think we've been necessarily doing it backwards. We've just been misleading the listeners. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think the uh, BA score makes sense to go by, though, because that's like somewhat average people, not right, like the, well, necessarily. Well, it's the community of, of beer enthusiasts. Yeah. Yeah, sure. But they could be similar to you, you know, when you're... Sure. So it's our first ever world-class beer. Yeah, it's got a 95 from the BA community, which translates to world-class. And it's yeah, it's a good beer. The style, it says, is Flanders Red Ale, 6% alcohol. Mm-hmm. And it tastes like it should be something maybe a little more than 6% alcohol. Like I was saying at the top of the show, I felt like, oh, no, we're going to get challenged a little bit. This this intimidating guy for, that's like a literal beer expert from the Beervana blog. So, yeah, so try knows what out. he's talking about. Right. And I'm going to have to be like challenged to appreciate this. But you do not have to be. If you ordered this anywhere in any capacity, you would go, holy shit, this is refreshing. Like That's the part. When I think of like really nice beers, I would never think of refreshing. It's yeah. always like they're – considered great because there's like some depth to them and like you got to chew well, them depth essentially. The, to yeah, the hops. I think that's what gives you right. that. And and that's that bitterness that you kind of have to get over. Whereas this this is completely overpowered by like fruit. Yes. Um, and cherry. I, think, I get a ton of cherry with this. Right. And if you – so kind of going down the beer advocate. That's the tartness. Yeah. You go down the beer advocate here. Um, it's it, So the presentation, let's start there. If we're going to break this fucking beer down, we're going to break do it. it down. The, the appearances, presentation, appearance, smell – taste if you go back to our pilot episode we claimed we were going to do this for our beer <laughs> then we drank a lot of bud light and shit like that or miller light um so and we will do, do that here. after this episode oh absolutely we'll go back for to this that. one time um presentation so this comes in a big ass bottle as you mentioned it's a pint um european style brown bottle foil neck foil neck illustrated label of their famous oak crest casks sorry um and that's on your family crest. <laughs> so the the casks is something I wanted to touch on. So again, this Jeff Allworth guy, the guy who runs Beervana blog, who recommended this to us, he visited this brewery in Belgium. This is a super old brewery. It comes from what eighteen eighteen twenty one. Yeah, unbelievable. So they've been making this beer longer than um, longer than I've been alive. In, certainly longer than you've been alive. Uh, we all know you're a vampire uh, that's been alive for hundreds of years, but this is still longer than that. Yeah, eighteen twenty two. <laughs> so um so here i want to just read a passage as they're talking about the the cask on the label um rodenbach takes care making its beer this is from beer found blog the new owner's palm just spent a boatload of money on a beautiful new brewery but what happens in the mash tun and kettle aren't primary the real action happens in those famous wooden vats rodenbach brews a single base beer sweet red ale made with 20 percent corn and roasted barley Fresh, it is very sweet, and in fact, the hops are used to diminish the bacteria, not balance the beer. Um, a portion of the beer is then put in the vats and left to age there for two full years. When it's fully ripened, it's blended back with fresh beer to make either regular Rodenbeck. So basically, they use this one single base mm-hmm. to make either regular Rodenbeck, which is 25% aged beer. Um, and then they also make Grand Cru, which is 67% aged beer. Um, wow. Yeah, so what happens, Rodenback, is what happens in those vats. And so, so they make – their label says they make four different beers, it appears. 
So uh, yeah, reading this blog, this is from 2011, so maybe they've expanded a little bit since then. But um, from 2011, he was saying th- this one base is made wow. um, for for two different types of beers, and then it's aged for two years. Yeah, they're housed in ten vast cellars that can hold up to uh, 33 vats each. So the brewery says many of them are older than 150 years, uh, though they've been saying that for a while. <laughs> So it must be even older than that. Yeah. It's like um, the McDonald's 99 billion served. Thing. Yeah. They just ran out of numbers on the signs and they just <laughs> said, fuck it. The three oldest vats date back to the 1830s. So that's, I mean, that's absurd, right? Well, and we looked up that Palm Brewery that owns this brewery. It right. was founded in like 1527 or something insane like that. So it's definitely the, uh, the, the European oh. tradition is very applicable to this when you talk about these beers right which we don't get in america obviously and we don't and and that's actually something i was recently over there and i was drinking wine and one of the things that that they talk a lot about is like there's actually laws that say like you can't label something a certain way unless you follow tradition like you can't even experiment and i think with this that's big in wine right yeah that's with wine i don't know if it's this big in beer either but i think you know if you when you go back to these European breweries, these European wineries, these people who are making something in Europe, that those places have been around long enough. Like, um, like this is almost as old as our country. This this brewery, which yeah. is absurd, um, and and they, in many cases, I think they feel stifled over there by the fact that they that they're so beholden to tradition, um, and they they kind of are envious of American creativity. Sure, the but young it, gun, right? In, in our breweries, we do creative things here, but we also um, used our capitalistic nature to churn out Anheuser-Busch's fucking Budweiser and stuff like that. So I think in a lot of ways, this preserves what is an excellent recipe uh, by, by by following tradition and not necessarily innovating, at yeah, least in Rodenbach's case. Yeah, and ostensibly like this tastes the same as it would have back in the 1800s and 1900s which is fucking amazing which is awesome so yeah, pe- yeah people went and and tried this beer in, in the 1800s yeah. and went wow this is a world-class beer then uh it's it's the same thing and it holds up over time it's timeless okay so we talked presentation let's move on to appearance appearance okay it looks like wine even it's yes it's so this definitely is, hazy cloudy yeah dark it, red it, it is it's it's a dark red beer it doesn't it's got a little blood in it well, blood. No, I've just been. I've been, <laughs> I came in and uh, I got I got hit by a bus in the way. Oh, in, dang! Uh, and so maybe that's kind of giving that tartness and sourness. Okay. I'm that might very be lightheaded. I'm all fucked up <laughs> from this half. This no, it does have a little bit of a dark tone. Like it's uh, it's kind of got a cloudiness in it. Uh, I don't know. It looks a lot like beer to me. It, yeah. Like the the color, but like you said, kind of the transparency. It's it's when you think of beer, um, you think of being able to look through a beer. Yep. Uh, this is not even in even in a red that you could find here. Um, you can see through it. This is very opaque. Yeah. Um, hazy dark red is what I read on Beer Advocate. Almost deep brown in color with a nice wisp of white laced head, and that is also true. It's true. I wonder what does that to it. Maybe um, Jeff, when he's on the podcast, he can tell us more about that. Yeah, it's probably something with their brewing process. Again, he emphasizes like how they make the base of it. It's all right. about those wooden vats, right? Um, which I think gives it. Like the, because it's very fruity, but it doesn't taste like it's not Schaffenhofer. Like it's not just this fucking juice. Right. Yeah. Um, there's like enough, I think, oak in it that 
it uh, charred flesh, right? <laughs> yeah, but this actually does have enough charred flesh to kind of take away the, the bitterness, yeah. but it also yeah it, it dulls the fruit enough that it's not like overbearing. Do um, you think you could drink more than a half pint of one of these, though? Oh yeah, and uh, you think so? Fuck yeah, I could drink this whole pint. This is really good. It's, it is. It's a little on the sweet side for me, though. But is it the sweet side is fine. So just you, you don't prefer the sweetness. But the thing that was stopping me from drinking two Scheffenhofer Hefenweissens and two Smirnoff Ices, <laughs> one Smirnoff Ice, was like the gut rot that it gave me, the film it gave me. Yeah, the, the film I think is a good way to put it. Those there's none of that with, with exactly, this. Exactly. Because this really. is actually just like – there isn't like just an injection of fucking sugar or whatever that yeah. makes that taste good. This is actually just pure like smooth – flavor yeah um we well, move on this fact, oh go ahead go ahead back to appearance talking about the brown bottle like i know they do that to protect it from like uv uh disturbing the beer or whatever and then the smirnoff comes in the crystal clear bottles oh, yeah. look right in it there's <laughs> sugar juice yeah there is no uh, worries about yeah. ruining the flavor and the sanctity of a smirnoff ice yeah well yeah I, the this does feel like it has sanctity to it like i felt like i was holding it with two hands as i came in it was Serious stuff. Oh, Please hey, pour you need fill up? I had that on the table before you set the bottle back down after you poured oh. yourself some. That's typical. That's etiquette. Everyone knows that. You didn't think that you'd make it through more than half of this pint? You doubted it? We're, we're I, I'm just saying I wouldn't already. drink more of it. Really? Which I, I might. I, I could know. probably drink I'm a whole pint. I'm going to drink this glass. and feel like We're chugging this thing because it's so fucking tasty. Good. And if we were out in the sun and not in this conference room that we're in because the studio was flooded yeah well you should but, tell the listeners you yeah. might hear a little bit of a teeny tur- uh, noise to it our studio was completely flooded uh before this so we're in a conference hour, room. literally hours ago it was <laughs> flooded. We, we moved for you the listener we will go to lengths any lengths uh to make sure that another episode comes out now the jury's out on whether we caused the flooding in the studio that's for the police to decide. What's our lawyer's name? I can't remember the lawyer. Ah, uh, shit. Oh, fuck. Was it Jeff? No, I don't think it was no, Jeff. No, we could change it to Jeff. Okay. Anyway, our lawyers uh, advise us that nothing... We're, no comment. ...that we're, we're clearly playing characters on this show and that nothing has legal basis. Yes, just like Alex Jones. But I think our studio is going to smell down there. It's going to have a funk to it for We're going to have while. to pour some Grand Crew on the ground. We should nice move on little... to the smell uh, texture of, of Grand Crew. Holy cow. It's like we planned that. <laughs> <laughs> so the smell, I'm reading on Beer Advocate, acidic, sharp, fruity aroma. Definitely get that. Hints of caramel yes, notes sharp. and oak as the beer warms. So apparently Ooh. this smell changes as it warms. Put it That's in the microwave. <laughs> Nuke this, <laughs> this fucking cup. It smells fruity to me. I don't get much of the caramel. <laughs> By dipping your nose straight into the beer, you discover the oak I found. Yeah. <laughs> waterboard yourself with this beer and then tell me how it smells. This beer is so good, I'll voluntarily waterboard <laughs> myself with it. Yeah, that it, it does smell good. I think we, we should get to taste, though, because that's where I yeah, mean, the sure. whole thing lies. Uh, so taste crisp, dry, and refreshingly tart. Has a very intense sourness and a raw cherry juice fruitiness about it. I disagree that, with the intense sourness. Really? I think that's right on. I would really totally agree with everything those two sentences said. Okay, we keep going. Body is perfectly balanced, full, and gentle. That I like. Gentle is a good word for this. I think that's the the bite that we get with Smirnoff is is it's a bite, and this doesn't have it. It is gentle. Yeah, that's in a, a little contradiction, I think, to the saying it has a very intense intense sourness, sourness and then yeah. saying it's perfectly, perfectly balanced, balanced, full, yeah. and gentle. I guess that comes down to a matter of um, 
subjectivity, what you enjoy out of it. Well, I think they try to explain it with the next sentence. They say a subtle background malt sweetness provides balance. Okay. So it isn't a wine. There is this um, a malt flavor to it that uh, takes the, the edge off a bit, I guess. Hops are masked by the intense flavors. Light malt, grain, and oak flavors as the beer warms, finishes semi-tart and clean. That's fascinating that as this beer warms, it becomes a different beer basically yeah. by taste alone. Well, oh, arguably, oh, pardon me. Burpees are coming out. No, arguably that happens even with like uh, Rolling Rock, for God's sake. I you guess that's a good point. Rock and sure, yeah. As any beer, there just might not be as profile. much to reveal. Ooh, there's some sediment in this beer. Well, charred. Well, did we cork it? No, I think it's it might be from the brewing. Uh, I mean, we didn't oh, that's stick fun. a corkscrew in there. We just popped it out. True, that's that's true. Yeah, yeah a little that, sediment in there. That's fun. See that? Sure. See that, listeners? <laughs> no, it looks. I don't know what it is, but I'm going to drink it. Yeah, I'll let drinking. you know. Uh, <laughs> the, uh, the, the, it's fascinating to think about. Yeah, as any beer or drink, the temperature changes, the flavor profile changes. But I think this one, it seems as is, as if it's supposed to be deliberate. It goes from one flavor flavor yeah. profile of uh, tartness, sourness, fruitiness. To a totally another one of, of caramel and mm-hmm. I guess coming back to like the malt flavor. Yeah. Well, it's like even with ice cream, you know, really nice ice cream, you're supposed to let like heat up a little bit. So more of the flavor is revealed. I think when things are too cold, you can't fully taste it. Sure. It's sure. heated up. It's more, the flavor pop, comes through more. Pop it in the microwave. Yeah. You bit. pop, you pop your metal spoon in the microwave. You put that in your bucket of ice cream uh-huh. and you eat, go to town. So the notes on here, Grand Cru is probably the most famous of West Flanders red ales. It's made with Vienna malt and five yeast strains. It's then aged in massive unvarnished oak casks. So we talked about that for over two years, as we mentioned. Then it's blended with other two-year-old ales, no young ale addition. So everything that is blended with is at least two years old. <laughs> ID required at the vat entrance must be two years or older. <laughs> Who is this? Who is this now? I don't know what character this is. I'll, I'll work on it. <laughs> There's no fruit in this beer. Oh, okay. All fruit flavors really? are imparted by its unique house blend of yeast strains. Holy shit! Oh, now, now we're getting into gut health. It. So maybe that's part of it. There, there is no injection of fucking grapefruit in this thing. The yeast strains created this flavor. Wow. Well, the conference room fan just kicked on from the listeners. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's shit. fascinating because this tastes like cherry. Totally. Wow. I guess it does. If you smell, and that's it like with wine tasting too. If you smell as you drink, it kind of changes the flavor profile in your mouth. You get a little bit more of that yeast rather than, it kind of smells like walking into a brewery. I don't know what yeast tastes like, but. Well, anyway, so Beer Advocate follows us up with, Dear Beer God, thank you. This is indeed one of the most refreshing beers in the planet. An absolute must try. And to the listeners, this is an absolute must try. Yeah, you should try it. Yeah. Treat. It's, it is $10. <clears throat> Split it with a friend um, or, or go nuts tonight. Treat yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Treat yourself. Pair with a nice Blue Apron meal. Ooh. Coldcanspodcast.com slash Blue Apron. Um, so I, I think we should get into, as you brought up at the top of the show, we should maybe come a little full circle here. Um We've Let, been drinking. Let's just say, sorry, that the guy who wrote all these notes we talked about gave this beer a 4.95 out of 5. 
yeah. for for this beer. I know and this was is one of the bros. One right? of the bros. Yeah. behind beer advocate. And actually, the guy we've been referencing this whole podcast, Jeff Allworth uh, from the Beervana blog, um, gave this a four point two five out of five, mm. according to what I'm looking at here. So he took some umbrage with it, and maybe we have a conversation with him. We'll talk a little bit about that. I don't know because at, he writes um, about how. In fact, I'll read it here. Rodenbach is a uh, Rodenbach Grand Cru is simply one of the world's best beers. So he he talks about the Baroque production methods, basically the, the what they go through to make this damn beer would only be worthy of a footnote if the beer were ordinary. But of course, they're not. So I think that that gets into what I was about to say, which is um, he says of all the brewers I toured, blah blah blah, Rodenbach was the most awe inspiring. Um, every older brewery I visited discussed the balance between tradition and efficiency. So we talk a lot about efficiency on this show. We talked about how Miller Lite's just this piss water that's churned out at mass production. Yeah, it's and, and remarkable then, in its own right. And it's all masked with advertising so that people think to drink it. So he says um, uh, the balance between tradition and efficiency is such an important consideration for a commercial enterprise. Rodenbach is off the charts in terms of the expense and inefficiency it takes them to produce a single bottle of beer. No modern company would or could consider the Rodenbach model. So basically, he's saying it's wildly inefficient to make this beer, yet it's simply one of the best beers in the world. Perhaps there's a correlation between the two. Um, mm-hmm. I don't think he's necessarily Certainly. suggesting that, but he's um, at least implying it. And I, I, it is. It's the first beer that I've read about how like limited they make uh, or, or how difficult it is to make the beer. It's yeah. $10 for a, a pint. I mean, aging anything is going to sure, you know, up the price of it. Yeah. But yet we bought it from the QFC in Seattle. So it is still widely distributed. Yeah, they've obviously reached some type of, uh, I don't, maybe it's brewed at separate locations. I don't know, but they brew a lot of it, clearly. Right. It's imported by Lattice LLC in Ridgefield, Connecticut. So that um, appears to be at least what is doing the distribution to the Seattle neck of the woods. Nice. Um, I'm about to drink the sediment, folks. Let's see how it goes. Oh, the sediment is going down. I'll I'll give you a play-by-play of the facial expressions. The sediment, uh, no immediate disgust. Ooh, uh, a souring of the corners of the eyes. Um, a couple palate cleansing tongue clicks. Now very sensual lick of the lips. And now something I can't say on air if my parents are listening. I tasted no difference. Okay. So the sediment didn't provide uh, any enhancements or detriment to what you were drinking. As long as I don't die from said sediments. What a way to die though. <laughs> yeah. Drinking, drinking one of the back. best damn beers in the world. So should we get to our, our rankings? I think so. I don't think we so have this to So it's going to be what, around. down in Miller 64, Miller Light area? <laughs> I don't what, think what we, we even have here? to fuck around reading the whole list. I think we can look right at the top. So current top, Swivelhead Red, Deschutes Brewery. Uh-huh. Deschutes Brewery. And then Kona, Crikey. So <sighs> where are you at? I really like this beer. So do I. I think... I did say earlier it was a little sweet for me, and I think it is. Uh-huh. I would still put Swivelhead above this, but I really? can be persuaded. I think I might attempt to persuade you. Okay. Because I think there is some uh, value in the placebo effect of reading so much about this, listening to people who are experts, and I know we've talked about expertise, and I hope we can have Jeff in on the podcast so we can talk to an expert hmm. um, about uh, appreciation of something that he clearly loves. But there is something about hearing people who love, appreciate, and understand 
beer, talk about how, Jesus, this is one of the best beers in the world. You have to try this. You put all that in your head, and then that first sip changes. Like, if, if we had no introduction to this, and you just picked it up for some reason, I started drinking, i go, oh, that's pretty refreshing. But mm-hmm. I, like, I wouldn't smell it. I wouldn't try to look through the glass. I wouldn't discuss the sediment um, or the appearance or look into the history of the bottle. I wouldn't I do would anything go, of the sort. <sighs> Yeah, and we <laughs> there is something to a presentation, to the that's rigor morale around the thing that enhances the thing, whether that's fair or not, because it does take me away just from the blind taste. Um, but for all of those reasons, I would put this ahead of the Silverhead Red um, because it did set me in that frame of mind. I was all excited. We popped the cork on this thing, and my first sip, I was like, "Holy shit!" Again, I expected to be challenged by this and go, fuck, I'm not an expert like these guys. And, like, it lifted all that away. In fact, I actually do want to read, because um, I think this will help me frame it as well. This is another thing from the Beervana blog. He's talking about another beer here, but I think it applies to what we're talking about. So he's talking through this beer, and he says, it's rich with fruit and grape juice, and there's other fruity notes tucked here and there, and it's all enlivened with a gentle touch of acidity and very little funkiness. So he's basically breaking down this beer. But then he says, adjectives diminish the experience of the beer, though. Its real excellence is immediate and holistic. You instantly just think, holy crap, that's a great beer. Later, you begin adding the adjectives, but they're really beside the point. It's hard to imagine how they could have improved it. That's kind of what I get. Again, I was expected to go, fuck, I need to be an expert and understand. I need those adjectives Mm -hmm. to define my experience. And this thing was just that good. Like, it it just, holy crap, this is a great beer. So for that reason, I would put this at number one. Yeah, I like what you said in the whole, uh, like, ritual behind the thing. The fact that it's 200 years old is awesome, obviously. Mm-hmm. And um, It's got to be the oldest beer we've drank. I can't verify yeah, that. But, I think it is. Yeah. And the fact that this is described as a refreshing beer, I think that does a lot for me because, like you said, when you think about, like, the top beers, you think you're going to have to work through it. It's right. a chore to, right. to appreciate it. Uh, but this, it certainly was refreshing. Like, if we were outside in the and a nice day and drinking this it, yep. it'd be great i think we'll get outside and maybe i'll buy another one of these hey fuckers. why not walk down the street what are they they're gonna stop you no. drinking a nice belgian beer try me cops yeah no officer in america back the badge um our, our lawyer jeff is uh advising us that there are officers in america that will no go ahead continue i'm okay putting it above soil head right so we have a new number for the the not the second Sound week the alarm. in Budweiser last week. So every other week, uh, we're going for a new number one. Because <laughs> I think I know what's on the agenda for next week, and I don't think it's going to reach. Uh, Sound the alarm. We have a new number one, folks. It's the Rodenbach Grand Cru uh, from 1812. I think this one's going to sit there for a while. Thank you. Oh, 1821. Shit. I think it's going to sit there for a while. I don't think this one's going anywhere. I think so, too. Yeah, we, I, we have one in the docket. Wisconsin beer that could top it mm-hmm. based on taste, personal memories, history. personal history. Yep. But we shall see as the subjectivity <laughs> ramps up in our rankings or if we'll go off general thought on what's a good beer. We shall see. We're not experts, but we try <laughs> to be. <laughs>